Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I am Deacon Jeff, and I'm sitting here with Tom Dorian, wingman, it's like, it's like sidekick. Deja vu all over That's again. right, exactly. It's like we've been here yeah, many times great before. Great to be back. It's a rainy day, and that, we're sitting in the Comfort right place. Food, I know. That's right. This Heck is yeah. the place to be. And yeah. so, uh, as we sit here, it's good to know that we're in the right place, isn't it? It is. Uh oh. Segway, right? Here we go. Segway alert. Segway you got alert. that thing down. Here it comes. So we're in the right place. Okay. You know, a lot of people go through life. Wondering if they're in the right place. That's true. Especially when it comes to, uh, uh, you know, church. You're right. Am I in the right place? You're right. Right. How do I know that my particular flavor of ice cream is the flavor of ice cream? Yeah. Right. And so we think, well, how do we answer this question? And one of the great ways that we can answer this question, uh, which is what we're going to endeavor to do. Somehow or now or later, today, you would that's right, do that. On the Catholic Cafe. Is we're going to try to answer that question, and we're going to start in a really good place to start. Okay. We're going to start in the sacred beginning? scripture. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We're going to go all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy. All right. Right? Back in chapter 32, verse 7, go. where we read, Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, and he will show you your elders, and they will tell you. So here, sacred scripture tells us that if we want to know... What's right? Ask your father. The right path. Ask our father. Right. Ask our elders. Ask those who have gone before us because they can tell us the way it was there you back go. in the good old days, right? They can tell us that. And then also we can read in um, our, the 78, 78th Psalm, um, starting at verse 2 I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and have known, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. But tell to the coming generation of the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders which he has wrought. And so even here in Psalm 78, we get this idea that we can, we can hear these dark sayings from of old mm-hmm. from our fathers. Right. right. We, we find out the truth from our fathers, but we are also called not to hide it from the children. We're called to, to pass it on. There you go. Right. So what we can do as churchgoers... Mm-hmm is to look at, you know, the previous churchgoers. Yeah. Right? We need to go to our fathers. Church fathers. That's right. And find out where we're supposed to be. Makes where, sense. Where is the right place? That's perfect sense. And so what what we can do is, on, on this show, I want to go through some of the uh, early church fathers. Good stuff. And start to read some of the, some a few select quotes from them to help us maybe gain insight into which is the church we should be in. Yeah, that, that sounds good. Right, because every church says, oh, my church goes back to Jesus Christ. My church does, my church is the oldest, or my church, you know, our teachings are most pure, or whatever. But is that, you know, exactly what the church fathers tell us? Right. And so if we start to read the church fathers, I think we're going to find that, you know, there is one church that kind of gets singled out. Yeah. Now, we're going to start here with St. Ignatius of Antioch. Okay. And he wrote in uh, 110 A.D. on his way to be martyred. Wow. Right. So he is on his way to be martyred. And so he writes this letter to the Smyrnaeans. And what he writes to the people, the fine people of Smyrna... What he writes is this. He says, let no one do anything of concern to the church without the bishop. Let that be considered a valid Eucharist, which is celebrated by the bishop or by one whom he ordains. 
wherever the bishop appears, let the people be there, just as wherever Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. Hmm. Now, this is important in a couple of reasons, for, for a couple of reasons. One is, he's mentioning bishops, right? right? He has this image of bishops and those that the bishop ordains. Right. So what he's saying is, it's going to be a valid Eucharist. See, he mentions Eucharist. Mm-hmm. It's only a valid Eucharist if the bishop ordains, does it. Or the or person ordains, who right. he ordains right. does, uh, you know, offers this Eucharist on behalf of the people. Right. And there's another real significant point here, and that is, this is the first time in written history when we see the word Catholic used as a descriptor, as a name, right, as a name for the church. That's a big rabbit trail. It is, and we can go down that way. We could. Uh, and spend a long time talking about what people think, because a lot of people look at that. And just think universal. Right. And, well, of course, or body Catholic, of Christ. Catholic does mean universal, but right. it's different to say that uh, that St. Ignatius was just saying that you know, universal is just one of the many attributes of the church. Because he would have also said, you know, between this is the church that is not only universal, but is also one. It is also, uh, you know, holy. It is also these. So he could have done all these descriptors about mm-hmm. church, but instead he named it. Okay. And from that point forward, you see the description or the name Catholic Church used. Okay. Right? And so before this time, we didn't see this. So here is St. Ignatius of Antioch saying for the first time that we have in written history, the Catholic Church, but he didn't say it in a way that sounded like he was just starting it, like no one else called it that, because it didn't seem like a surprise to him or anybody else who read it at this time. We didn't have people right. saying, I don't know where St. Ignatius gets this. Right. But it was the first time we see Catholic Church, and, it, and it's a very uh, noteworthy that he doesn't say the Baptist Church or the Methodist Church or the Presbyterian Church or the Mormon Church. Right? He, does, he says the Catholic Church, and a lot of people... May you know sidestep that issue right. by saying, "Well, Catholic just means universal." Right. But what I would suggest is that we get through some more of these quotes. Okay. And I think we're going to find that there is a very uh, intimate portrait, okay. very specific portrait of a church painted here that makes us go, "Wait a second. Okay. I think maybe this is the Catholic Church." Yeah. Keep keep going because that because that's going to. Keep well, first there's this going concept. Down that trail. Well, you know what? I should back up one second, and I'll okay. talk about Saint Ignatius. One second. Okay. I need to add this important point. All right. Saint Ignatius was someone who studied under Saint John the Apostle. Hmm. Now let's think about this for a second. That is so important. He, so here is here is Saint Ignatius talking about bishops, Eucharist, ordination, right? Catholic. And he's talking about the Catholic Church. Now you would have thought that a guy who learned everything he knew about Jesus, everything he knew about his church and his faith from John the Apostle, mm-hmm. the one who wrote the Gospel of John, right? right, and the letters of John, you'd think that this man would get it right. I mean, it yeah. wasn't like, you know, a thousand <laughs> years took place and he could just sit there and, and ruminate and remember fondly right. the wrong thing, right? He wouldn't be that far off. And if he was far off, those who still knew uh, you know the teachings of John, and it was still fresh in their memories. Would have called him out, and we would have many books and letters written saying, "Don't listen to this crazy Ignatius guy right. about bishops and ordinations and Eucharist. Don't listen to him." Yeah, they, but, but there's silence when it comes to that. In fact, we only have people agreeing with Saint Ignatius of Antioch. Yeah. So he was taught by the Apostle John. Right. He sat at the foot of the Apostle who walked with Jesus. Right. So this is a great source from. 
which to get information. Yep. Right. So we know that the information that comes to us from St. Ignatius it's pretty spot on. I, I think so. So let's look at some others, though. We have many other church fathers we want to talk about. Let's look at a St. Clement of Alexandria. Okay. And this he wrote in 207 A.D. And he says, From what has been said then, it is my opinion that the true church, that which is really ancient, is one, and that in it those who, according to God's purpose, are just are enrolled. For from the very reason that God is one and the Lord one, that which is in the highest degree honorable is lauded in consequence of its singleness, being an imitation of the one first principle. In the nature of the one, then, is associated in a joint heritage the one church, which they strive to cut asunder into many sects. Therefore, in substance and in idea, in origin, in preeminence, we say that the ancient and Catholic church is alone. Hmm. Again, we see Catholic Church used here. Right. Right? He doesn't say any other kind of church, or he doesn't talk about the way or some sort of nondescript, Jesus-loving group of... It's a title. It's a title. Right. The Catholic Church. And it's very interesting. He's talking about things like, first of all, he's using phrases like really ancient. Mm-hmm. Right? And he's talking about how old this church is. And, of course, this is only 130 years after right. Jesus ascended into heaven. Right. So it's like, wow, ancient and and. Here we are, two thousand years later, and we think that word "ancient" means ancient. Well, they were talking about this has been around. This is it. Mm-hmm. This is the ancient church, mm-hmm. right? And he also says these interesting things about how it's one. Yeah. Right. There's only one church. Jesus founded one church. We know that from Matthew sixteen eighteen. You know, you are Peter. You are rock. Right. You are Kepha in Aramaic. And on this Kepha, on this rock, I will build my church, not my churches. Right. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know, so we know here St. Clement of Alexandria is telling us, yeah, it's one church. There's only one. There's not 30,000 or 50,000 or 20,000. Right. Not lots of different flavors. There's one church. Right. And then what's beautiful is we also see this picture that even then, even in 200 A.D., what are they trying to do? They're trying to split it up. Yeah, different right? sects. He says, which they strive to cut asunder into many sects. Yeah. You know, so even then there's this pressure to split it up. And, well, we believe that you have to be baptized after every sin. Well, we believe you should follow this person or that person. You know, and it's like, wait a second, there's only one faith. Yeah. Right? There's one Lord, and and that which imitates the one Lord is the one church. Yeah. That is interesting. Right? And so then we also have some other great quotes I want to zip through. Here's St. Cyprian of Carthage. Here's what he says. He says, God is one and Christ is one and his church and the faith is one and his people welded together by the glue of concord into a solid unity of body. Wow. I mean, he's saying the church is one, mm-hmm. right? There's only one church. And this is an important concept because a lot of people think, well, what is church? It's a sort of nondescript kind of free-flowing conglomeration of people who are like-minded, mostly who have 80% or more of the same beliefs, right? right. That's what we've come to understand what church is. And, and is that that's, really what church not, is? Well, that's not what they're saying. Well, look at the picture. Right. Right. Let's, let's go a little further. Here is St. Cyril of Jerusalem. And he wrote this in his catechesis in 347 A.D. He said, The church is called Catholic, then, because it extends over all the world, from one end of the earth to the other, and because it teaches universally and completely one and all the doctrines which ought to come to men's knowledge concerning things both visible and invisible, heavenly and earthly. 
and because it brings into subjection to godliness the whole race of mankind, governors and governed, learned and unlearned, and because it universally treats and heals the whole class of sins which are committed by soul or body and possesses in itself every form of virtue which is named, both in deeds and words, and in every kind of spiritual gifts. You know, he's pretty much laying out there saying, this is the place to be. Right. This is the church, the universal church, the one church, the Catholic church. Yep. Now, we have more to talk about here in this one church, whether or not we're in the right church, right? Right after we get back after this important break. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. St. Charles Borromeo was born in Italy in 1538 to a family of means and influence. His father was Count Gilbert Borromeo and his mother, Margaret Medici, was the sister of Pope Pius IV. He received the clerical tonsure, a formal step in preparation for the ordained priesthood, when he was 12 and was sent to a Benedictine abbey for his education. He fared well in his studies and grew to love the church with all his heart and soul. He became very active in church affairs and felt called to a role of leadership. Later, when his older brother died, St. Charles was urged by his family to leave his church duties, return home, and assume leadership of the Borromeo family. They desired that he take a wife and have children so that the family name would live on. But this was a very difficult time for Mother Church. She was caught up in a storm of disagreement and controversy as the Reformation raged against her. After prayerful consideration, St. Charles decided to decline his family's proposal. The Holy Spirit had other plans for him. With a newfound zeal, he devoted himself ever more fervently to the welfare of the church. And he couldn't have done so at a better time. As the 25 sessions of the Council of Trent were winding down, the much-needed reforms decreed by the Council were just beginning. The repercussions of this greatest of the great councils would be felt far and wide and for centuries to come. Strong, loyal church leaders open to the promptings of the Spirit of Truth were desperately needed to help usher in the reforms. St. Charles Borromeo was certainly one of those leaders, and though he received great opposition from many of the corrupt church leadership and institutions of the day, he was a towering force of reform and healing for the church. But perhaps one of his greatest contributions was his effort to develop the seminary system for the proper education and formation of priests. St. Charles felt that the abuses that had run rampant in the church were primarily due to the ignorance of the clergy. For this reason, he focused his attention on the creation of seminaries, colleges, and communities dedicated to those called to holy orders. This focus on teaching the truths of the Catholic faith greatly improved the sanctity, knowledge, preparedness, and effectiveness of the priests. St. Charles Borromeo was indeed one of the great pillars of the Catholic Counter-Reformation. His feast day is celebrated on the 4th of November. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I am Deacon Jeff, and this is Tom Dorian. That's right. It's all about fun. And so we're we're cruising through... 
uh, all these church fathers. And I, you know, I just I want to. There's a couple more I want to I want to throw in here. Uh, one is Saint Augustine okay. of Hippo, and this is around 397 A.D. And this is important for us to realize. All these church fathers are saying the same thing. Here's what he says: This same is the Holy Church, the One Church, the True Church, the Catholic Church, fighting against fighting against heresies. You know, it's like, wait a second. He also employs the name Catholic Church. Right. And this is critical because a lot of times people think, well, this idea of a Catholic Church is a a modern invention. It came about in like at least in the Middle Ages. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these quotes are from, you know, 110 A.D., 207 A.D., 251 A.D., 347. Right. This is the first four centuries that we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. And there were many, many, many more. I'm just reading these because people might have heard of these people. Right. But this is – and what you don't hear is you don't hear about that nondescript body, right? You, you don't hear these generalities. Right. You're hearing specifics about things like uh, bishops and Eucharist, right, right, and things like that. And it's, it even Ordained. gets better. Well, because there's also this idea of the teaching of the apostles being handed on. Right. Remember we talked about St. Ignatius of Antioch studying under St. John, right. the apostle. Right, and so you would know that Saint Ignatius's teaching then would be apostolic. Yeah, right. Well, the early church talked about this. Here's uh, this one of the, the. This is the the fourth pope. Right, we have Pope Peter. Mm-hmm. Then we have um, we have uh, Linus mm-hmm. and Cletus, mm-hmm. or Anacletus. His, history has different names for him, but then we have Clement. This is another Clement. We talked about Clement of Alexandria. This is Clement of Rome. Okay. So it's Pope St. Clement of Rome, and this is in 80 A.D., and he's writing to the Corinthians. He says, Our apostles knew through our Lord Jesus Christ that there would be strife for the office of bishop. For this reason, therefore, having received perfect foreknowledge, they appointed those who have already been mentioned, and afterwards added the further provision that, if they should die, other approved men should succeed in their ministry. Hmm. Now think about that for a second. Here we see in 80 A.D., mm-hmm. 50 years after Jesus, we see them having apostolic succession. We have bishops. Mm-hmm. He's a pope. Now when he's saying this, he's a pope of the Roman Catholic Church. Right. And he's saying that, okay, it's important to understand that if you're a bishop, you're probably going to get martyred. They pretty much all did right. at that time. It was not popular, and as he says, there was great strife. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, in being a bishop. Well, what he meant was, you're going to get martyred, dude, and so we need to have somebody going to fill your shoes as soon as you get martyred and get to go home, your heavenly home. Right? Someone's got to fill your shoes. Yeah, that's apostolic succession. Yeah, and again, if you believe that, if you believe that's true. Then if you're sitting in a church now that doesn't have apostolic succession or doesn't have bishops, doesn't have priests, doesn't have those who are ordained, doesn't have Eucharist, mm-hmm. doesn't have these things that were going on in the early church, you have to ask yourself, you know, is this the church? Yeah, have I followed? Does it line up with that? Exactly. Or where are my quotes? Where's, where are my, my guys? And we have to look at those. Good and point. I've been looking for them, still haven't found them. But there's <laughs> another guy. Uh, this is St. Irenaeus of Lyon, right? And this is 189 A.D. And the interesting about, thing about St. Irenaeus, just like St. Ignatius, St. Ignatius was along with a guy named Polycarp studying under St. John, right. the apostle. Mm-hmm. Well, Polycarp then had a follower, 
and that was Saint uh, Irenaeus of okay. Lyon. So here's another guy who's just one guy removed, one degree of separation from Saint John. From Saint John. Mm-hmm. And here's what he has to say about this whole idea of apostolic succession. He says, the tradition delivered. I'm sorry. The tradition derived from the apostles of the very great, the very ancient, and universally known church founded and organized at Rome by the two most glorious apostles, Peter and Paul, as also the faith preached to men, which comes down to our time by means of the successors, the successions of the bishops. For it is a matter of necessity that every church should agree with this church on account of its preeminent authority. That is, the faithful everywhere, inasmuch as the apostolical tradition has been preserved continuously by those faithful men who exist everywhere. Wow. Okay, so here is St. Irenaeus <laughs> writing in, in this volume he calls Against Heresies. Right. Right? And he's talking about this idea of tradition derived from the apostles. Right. Right? And again, he talks about uh, this universally known church organized at Rome. Right. By the two most glorious apostles, Peter and Paul. There are still people today who claim that Peter was never in Rome. Right. That Paul never went to Rome. Right. Right. There are people that will still claim this. And yet here in 189 AD, this is a guy that's just twice removed from Jesus. Right. Right. You'd, you'd think that in that period of time, in just that 150 years, that things wouldn't go so far astray that they would just like totally miss history. Right. Right. We... We know, look at our own history. We know a couple hundred years ago, we know exactly where Abraham Lincoln was or George Washington. We know where the, where our founding fathers were, where they met. We know we have the chairs they sat in. Right. Right. You can go to Philadelphia and see the chairs they sat in. Right. We know like a hundred years later, we know about the, you know, all the Civil War, where all the battles were fought, where so-and-so died. And we know this because we've been students of history. We've studied, we've passed on this, this knowledge. Right. Well, if we know like 200 years ago or more... When, when uh, you know, when the Declaration of Independence was signed, and we know this as a fact and everyone agrees to it, don't you think that St. Irenaeus would not be able to sit there and spout lies right. and say, this, this, I think this happened. Yeah, the this, odds are he got it right. I, odds are, you know, everyone would have called him to the carpet and said, hey, no, 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 St. Irenaeus. Right. They never you know, made it to Rome. No, they never made it. They were never there. <laughs> and so it's just very important. And also, here's another interesting uh, quote we have from St. John Chrysostom, who is the patriarch of Constantinople. So he's in the Eastern Church. Right. And he wrote this in 390 A.D. He wrote, For the Father gave to Peter the revelation of the Son, but the Son gave him to sow that of the Father and that of himself in every part of the world. And to a mortal man, he entrusted the authority of all things in heaven, giving him the keys who extended the church to every part of the world and declared it to be stronger than heaven. Okay, here's another guy, St. John Chrysostom, who said, hey, it's Pope Peter, right? right? He's got the keys, you know, and so we start to see this and realize, wait a second, there's a picture being painted here. Yeah. Right? This is, this is not something we're just making up. Right. Great, you know, this stuff really is a great study on human nature. You go back to St. Clement, he talked about the different sects and just right. how humans like to divide. Here we are 2,000 years later. They want to go right. this way. Right. We're still doing it. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of interesting to see that in 2,000 years we haven't changed a lot. Which, when we do that, we're really missing out. We are. You know? We're exactly right. You know, so we'll we'll sit and argue right. now, 2,000 years later, and ignore history. Yeah. But if we would just sit and read some of these church fathers, and there are lots more 
quotes where this right. one came from. Tip of the iceberg. Then what we're going to do is we're going to see a picture painted. Yeah. Right? We're going to see something that just tells us that this is a beautiful a beautiful place to be. Absolutely. And this is the place to be. This is the rock on which Jesus built his church, right? Peter right. is that rock. Right. Here we are, and this is the Catholic Church. This is what he intended in Matthew sixteen eighteen. St. Irenaeus has another beautiful quote in that same document against heresies, and he says this, With this church, because of its superior origin, all churches must agree. That is, all the faithful of the whole world, and it is in her that the faithful everywhere have maintained the apostolic tradition. Right. I mean, everyone has to agree with this church, and I, I know that's, that's, hard. that's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of folks. It was for me in my own personal journey as I was looking through all these different flavors of ice cream trying to find which was the one that I liked the best. I think so, but ultimately ultimately it leads to the Eucharist, which is what it's all about. Right, and that that first quote we had from St. Ignatius of Antioch talking about where the bishop is, that's the valid Eucharist. Right. Right, and we see we see uh, images uh, from the church fathers on Eucharist all over the place, but I have to say it was the church fathers that helped me understand where the one church is. Where is the church? Yeah. Right? Instead of seeing this church as this big, invisible, earthly gathering of uh, confab of people who all were kind of like-minded, right? Instead of seeing that, I started realizing, wait a second, there's a hierarchy, there's a structure, there's a purpose, there's a meaning. There's, there's a literal, almost physicality to the church. And there's a description, and we can get that by seeing these early church fathers and following in their footsteps. Mm-hmm, you're right. Just like Scripture told us, we should, we should seek our fathers and ask the questions of our fathers, and they're the ones that are going to lead us down this path, aren't you're right. they? You're right. Now, it's a beautiful thing, and you know, I hope that people hearing this, you know, don't take offense to, the, to me saying your church is not the right church. It's not, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I found the one church by reading the early church fathers, right. and I invite you to, to look at the early church fathers and see if you don't find the same exact thing. Right. So I'll tell you what, we ought to close in prayer now. Uh, and let's ask the Blessed Mother to, to pray uh, for us to her son, Jesus. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full, full of grace, grace. the Lord, Lord is with thee. Blessed, blessed art thou among women, and blessed, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. For more information, visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com. You'll find many links to Catholic resources on the web. You can also listen to previous shows online, download MP3s, or take advantage of our podcast feature. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stein, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.